Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know those take the box out. Recorded live. Okay, now we're on the air. No, no, no. A U N American Underground Network. The primary reason why the individual citizens of a country create a political structure is a subconscious wish or desire to perpetuate their own dependency relationship of childhood. Simply put, they want a human god to eliminate all risk from their life. Pat them on the head, kiss their bruises, put a chicken on every dinner table, clothe their bodies, tuck them into bed at night, and tell them that everything will be all right when they wake up in the morning. This public demand is incredible, so the human god, the politician, meets incredibility with incredibility by promising the world and delivering nothing. So who is the bigger liar, the public or the godfather? All revolutions have been led by young people. If you just think of the TV images of whether it's Tiananmen Square, or whether it's the uh, revolts in Central America or Europe, it's the young people, it's the college people who are more principled and not locked in and they're not embedded with the government. They are the ones who are concerned about the future because the future is theirs. My research has shown at this point that the future laid out for us may be just about impossible to change. I do not agree with the means by which the powerful few have chosen for us to reach the end. I do not agree that the end is where we should end at all. But unless we can wake the people from their sleep, nothing short of civil war will stop the planned outcome. It's the National Collective Consciousness Show with Dee Dee Farrell in Portland, Oregon, Jim Condit Jr. in Cincinnati, Ohio, Steve Harris in Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, live from Evanston, Illinois, your host, Fred Smart. Hey, thanks, everyone. Sorry I could not make the show last week. We've had to re- rejigger things in our schedule as a family to accommodate uh, some meetings uh, with a potential uh, scholarship offer for our son's baseball uh, efforts, and it's uh, still a, a, a plan in process. But uh, next week, uh, I rescheduled Bob Schultz uh, for his sixth uh, uh episode of his life story so look forward to that and this week we already had jim fetzer for the first hour and as i was looking on facebook i noticed james yeager had posted information about the uh, release of mainstream and uh it was just a day ago and he responded yesterday morning so we were able to get him into the newsletter because mainstream is going to be released next wednesday james has been on with us many many times and this week, by the way, everyone, uh, is around our 10th anniversary of this beloved call. So, James, you have the uh, honor 
to be a, a guest leading off the call on on what is been in round uh, matter of speaking the tenth year we've been doing this every Thursday night we've been doing the show for the last ten years it started in two thousand and seven the second week in May so uh, thanks James for coming on and uh, we were just chatting before the call started about fake news Donald Trump uh, that that moniker that phrase is is, is a lightning rod for all things uh, that controlled mainstream media. And uh, you did say that uh, a couple of references were made in, in mainstream. And uh, anyway, how is this going to be released, James, next week for people listening? Um, hey, Fred, thanks for having me on, and congratulations for 10 years. Just wanted to say, if the feds haven't kicked your door in yet, it looks like you're going to stay. <laughs> At any rate, um, yeah, we brought the word fake news into the movie once, once or twice, just to keep it, you know, Keep the uh, you know let everybody know that we we do watch the fake news once in a while and did mention it. But as I was saying to you earlier, you, you know we really try to steer away from partisan stuff, using stuff like words that are going to go away, you know, probably pretty quickly, like Democrat and Republican, fake news. You know, they, the media always has some new euphemism or word that they throw all over the place. So we really would try to stick with more timeless concepts, and there's no more timeless of a concept than the U.S. Constitution. So I don't know. Red fake news. Well, uh, it's all a bunch of crap. You know, it's all a bunch of crap. The whole mainstream media is basically pushing its values, cultural perspectives, interests, and uh, prejudices. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's been doing this for the longest time. It, it, indoct- it was successfully indoctrinated a lot of us for many, many years. Uh, uh, as a kid opening and looking at the cover of Time magazine, today's cover is, is Trump dead? <laughs> uh, it's, it's amazing, but these, these, these memes, monikers, whatever you want to call it, but the thing is people are not watching these programs anymore. They're tuning into the Internet. They're, looking, they're listening to Alex Jones. There are, there are umpteen numbers of, of incredible sourced YouTube channels that are producing really, really good stuff right now. <clears throat> and that's what people that's are tuning right. in. Yes. And um, so uh, I was kind of um, amused uh, by your intro. It sounds like a 1950s guy talking about, you know, the, our new god is the politician and so on. The only thing I thought struck me as kind of funny was that they said that the, the hope is with the youth. <laughs> Yeah, that <laughs> so, you know, I just, got, I just got Stuart Rhodes into the movie over at Berkeley, you know, where the youth are burning uh, free speech signs all over the place. Oh, God, I know. Yep. So, I don't know. This is a, well, this is a product of the media. You know, the media has indoctrinated these kids with cultural Marxism. And uh, it's the collective. The, the, the individual doesn't matter. It's the collective, the power of the collective. Yeah. Yeah, they all are part of the collective, the board collective, individualism. But this is, you know, part of the planks of Marxism, the idea that yeah. the state is all and the individual is nothing. So, um, and of course, this is the prejudice and the, and the philosophy of the control group. Because most of the control group of the oligopolies, the mainstream media, conglomerate studios and networks, which we go over in fine detail in the series, are of European heritage. These people that run Hollywood, run the studios, are of European heritage, so they have a socialist bent to them. 
and that's the problem. James, wasn't there a connection between uh, the propaganda arm of of the Third Reich under Hitler and uh, Mussolini uh, in, in Italy? I mean, there there was there was some groundbreaking stuff that they were doing to forge the propaganda of the state and elevate the the glory, the worship of the state, wasn't there? <clears throat> well, you know, you had Letty Riefenstahl making movies. Yeah. And glorifying the state. You know, I think a lot of people have the misconception that the government controls the media. Well, Has anybody heard that? Uh, you know, a lot of us on this call, I think, would would, would say that the government would, influence of media is pretty strong. Yeah, influence. Total control. <clears throat> yeah, but there, I've heard, I've come across people saying that it's it's as simple as the government's controlling the media. And what we're going to do in mainstream is we're releasing the first part, part one, 55 minutes long, at 8 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday. That's this Wednesday, the 17th. Everybody can watch it. We're going to leave it up from the 8th, the 17th Wednesday to Saturday at 11 o'clock because we okay. know everybody's going to go out and get drunk and party Friday and Saturday, and they're not going to watch movies on the Internet, you know. So we're going to leave it up there for a few days, and uh, we'll, we're releasing part one. And part one, uh, we will hope, we're hoping that everyone will like part one. We'll get part two, part three, part four done. But part one is going to basically go into the structure of the media and how it's actually controlled, how, people, how these people have been able to control it for 100 years. And believe me, it's, it's not really controlled by the government. The government influences it, but the control group has got over 237 ways that have been documented by Entertainment Securities Attorney John W. Cohns, who's who's in the movie, uh, 237 ways that they've been able to maintain control over the media. And, of course, we couldn't go into all 237 ways, but we did go into a number of the ways and how, this, how the media is structured and how these people are able to keep control of it. And I'm telling you, it's pretty ingenious, some of the stuff they do. Have any of your viewers ever seen the movie Alien? Uh, I've heard of the movie. I, I, I maybe have watched it. It doesn't, it doesn't ring a bell, though, on, on top of my head. Well, a lot of your listeners have seen the movie Alien, and they, and they kind of know how this tricky this little monster is. Well, that's kind of like the mainstream media. You know, this is actually was created by the mainstream media. Of course, Geiger came up with the pictures, but I'm just saying the mainstream media is kind of like the alien or the okay. predator. You know, it's pretty hard to defeat it. You know, and when you stab it, it's got acid for blood, and it bleeds all over you and destroys everything. Oh my so God. it's it's not really it's 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 not really the government that controls the media because the government really learns its tricks from the control group and the media. In other words, the creativity and the original thought for nefarious means originates from the media, the Hollywood, the, the minds that create these movies. Okay. For instance, creative accounting that came out of Hollywood. It's it's so it's just amazing what the lawyers and what the accountants in Hollywood do. You see showing up in the rest of the industries around the world five and ten years later. Because well, you know, Hollywood James, attracts Hollywood attracts the most creative, intelligent people in the world. James, I, I don't want to get get into the minutia of of these 
of the, of, of the references, but uh, there are people out there who've done tons of research on, on the placement of 911, uh, either by clock or by numbers or by this or by that, or even the, the passport for, for the, the gentleman in the matrix was, uh, uh, it was dated stamped September 11, 2001, <laughs> you know, so uh, I mean the Simpsons. I mean, all, all, there, there's tons of references to 9/11 throughout these shows and things that the media has done over the over many many years. And I, I, again, I'm not the expert on that, but uh, we got to find somebody who is and maybe bring them on the call. So what are you <laughs> so, saying? You're saying that you're I'm I'm not sure I'm following, uh, Fred. You're saying that the well, we were talking about the influence of government over media, and here one of the most spectacular terrorist events of our country's history. Uh, is is 9/11, whether it's terror from within or from without, uh, their placement of of the number 9/11, of the date 9/11, 2001, the whole series of things throughout many many years in reference to, you know, almost like a coded message was being delivered to the we the people through the regular mainstream media. <clears throat> Yeah, I don't know about any of that, Fred. I'm not yeah. really a numerologist, or I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more inclined to hard baked science and physics okay. and AI and stuff. I just, I just don't have the brain to figure out that. I know there's a lot of incredible coincidences. I know there can be ESP and and time travel and yeah, but I, I just don't know. I really don't know. I mean, yeah. Uh, I just got off the phone with Edwin Vieira for four hours, so I'm, I'm totally brain dead right now. Tell us, how Edwin's is Ed got, doing? How is Ed doing? Edwin, Edwin has got something he's cooking up that's so outrageous. That is there I, any chance you can bring him on and, and hand deliver him into this call someday? I, I, can't, I can't tell you what he's doing, but I can say this. It has something to do with the Supreme Court. <laughs> the pre-court? The Supreme Court. The Supreme Court. Oh, nice. Okay. I mean, no more Mr. Nice Guy writing books and making movies. Okay. <laughs> We're talking about the Supreme Court now. Yeah. Because, you know, he's argued before the Supreme Court a number of times, so that's his bailiwick. Mm-hmm. He's just kind of come down from the clouds to make a few movies and write some books so that mm-hmm. the rest of the mortals can kind of see, you know. I mean, his book, Sword and Sovereignty... I mean, excuse me, um, uh, by tyranny out of necessity and sword and sovereignty, sure. you know, they're the they're the ultimate treatises on, on the militia system. Uh-huh. And uh, yet the NRA still has the gall to think that, you know, everybody's supposed to have a weapon for sports and to hide in their cellar in case the feds come. Uh-huh. You know, it's ridiculous how behind the times they are. But Wayne LaPierre does look like he's getting a little more aggressive. Has anybody seen him out there on the TV commercials? <laughs> Screaming uh, at the camera? I, oh, yeah, I, I, indirectly I have, but, uh, yeah, they, anyway. Yeah, uh, they, he's, they make, he's front and center on camera, Fred, and screaming at us, the camera, you know? It's uh, actually, he's, yeah, yeah. I can think, I can see his blood's boiling a little more because he knows he's squeezed by the left and the media to keep his mouth shut, and he's got the military-industrial complex squeezing him another direction, and he just can't tell the truth about why we keep and bear arms. Yeah. 
And we we basically laid out the whole story in a movie called Molon Labe, which is available for free. And if any of your listeners go to homevideo.net, they can watch that movie for free. They can also watch its sister film, uh, Mainstream, excuse me, Midnight Ride. And, uh, now, 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 James, has, has, has Wayne Lott, has he ever responded to anything you have sent him, or have you ever had any interaction with him? Uh, I'm re- telling you, Fred, when, when, I, was sh- when I was shooting Molon Labe, I called his yeah. office. I talked to his assistant. I talked to his secretary. I talked to his secretary's assistant. <laughs> I talked to the. You, were, you triangulated you know, every way. I talked to the PR department. I talked to I talked to uh, the wife of who's the rock and roll star that's an NRA guy Nugent. Nugent. Yeah. I talked to she said she was going to tell Nugent to tell Wayne to be in the movie. I talked to members of Oath Keepers. I talked to leaders of various Oath Keepers chapters around the country. That knew. I even should talk to Joe the Plumber. In fact, oh I'm talking God. to Joe the Plumber tonight. Because Joe said, oh, don't worry, James, I'm going to look at Molon Lob, and then I'm going to contact Wayne. So I've had two talks with him, and I just sent him an email. How's it going, Joe? You know, you remember Joe the plumber? Yeah, yeah, he's seen this guy. So Joe's, you know, trying to get me in touch with Wayne. And uh, I don't know, Fred, wouldn't it be cool if the NRA decided they wanted to help make movies about the Constitution? Yeah, they have a lot of, lot of money. Deep pocket. I mean, I hear, I hear that the Second Amendment is part of the Constitution. Yeah. Jesus. God. So I don't know. Uh, we have we have Richard Gage in mainstream, and Richard Gage started an organization called 911 Ar- Ar- Architects and Engineers for 911 Truth. For 911 Truth, yeah. And we have Stuart Rhodes, who's the founder of Oath Keepers. Oath Keepers is, is a sponsor of this motion picture. Okay. Um, and so is Chuck Baldwin Live. And we're very grateful to both of those organizations and to, and to Stuart and Chuck for hanging in there. And we have, uh, let's see, well, we have Ron Paul in the movie. We have Edwin Vieira. We have Ed Griffin. You've got we Chuck Baldwin John, in the movie, too. Chuck Baldwin we in actually the movie, have, right? Chuck Baldwin is in the movie. Yeah. We actually have John McManus in the movie, who's the head of the John Birch Society, or used to be. Oh, wow. Oh, and cool. John's going to talk about the United Nations and how the globalist agenda has been unfolding. Um, we just have Did a great, get, uh, is, great that, is Alex Jones in this movie or no? Uh, Alex was in the movie, but some of the donors uh, told me to take it, take him out. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, yeah, some of the donors and one of the, uh, let's see. One of the other experts told me to take him out or they wouldn't be in the movie or they would refuse to give any more donations. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Okay. Right. And then other donors called me and told me to leave them in or they wouldn't give me any money. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, you know, oh, I'm serious. I am dead serious. I, this is how it's been. And then a few donors told me I had to put Psalm 1 in the beginning of the movie. And then other ones told me, no, no, Psalm 1 has to be at the end of the movie. And then I had another one say, no, we're not going to use Psalm 1. We should use uh, Ephesians 2. <laughs> oh, and, then, and, then, and then one of the main principals said, I don't think this movie should have any religious references. Oh, my God. You've been dealing with this, man. <laughs> so you're all going to have to watch it on Wednesday to see what's in the movie and who's in it or not. 
And, and, and you might see some big black blobs with disguised voices, you know, like drug kingpins. Yeah, what, you know, why is that? Well, that's because you're not going to know who those people are. Okay, is there some secret? <laughs> no, it's just that I had pressures of people saying they can't be in the movie, or they're afraid they're not they're going to get blacklisted oh, by Hollywood. Oh really? Oh really? Uh, or they're going to get you know, or you're you know, blah 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 blah. <laughs> Did you alter their 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 voice? Yeah, of course. I they have to yeah. be in the. They're they're not going to be in this current episode, but in the in the episodes after that, there's going to be black blobs like drug dealers. And no, you will not be able to tell who they are. I have to make absolutely sure that they won't be totally unrecognizable otherwise for legal purposes. But I still want the wisdom of their words. All right. Wow. So I don't know, Fred. You ought to be glad you're working in the radio business where you don't have to deal with images. You know, you could just have people on your radio show. We've been sabotaged many, many times, James, over the years. When we've had some 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 guests share critical information on this call, crazy crazy things have happened. Well, I, I'd say at least. Critically, 10 times over 10 years, I would say we've been seriously hacked and some crazy things have happened. <clears throat> so, Well, that's good. That that tells you you're on the right track. And incredibly, <laughs> one of those times, the gentleman who presented uh, became seriously sick the very next day and died, died less than a month later. <clears throat> uh, Uh-oh. Yeah. Can I uh, give your listeners a URL where they can see the yeah, premiere yeah, for free? Absolutely. Because some of them might, might you know, uh, go to bed early. It's Thursday. Yeah. Uh, or what is it? This is, Thurs- this is Thursday. But they can go see it at um, mainstreammedia.us okay. slash, slash premiere. So it's just simply mainstreammedia.us slash premiere, and it's going to start 8 o'clock Eastern. And that's and 8 o'clock Eastern to, in the morning, right? 8 o'clock p.m., no. Oh, 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 p.m., you got to wait up. <laughs> well, in California, people, it'll some be... Some people may, may want to watch it over their cup of coffee in the morning, James. <laughs> well, 5 p.m., it'll be... Um, yeah, you know, you got a good point there. We probably should have started in the morning. But, you know, a lot of people, we figure, will be going to work on Wednesday morning. Yeah, well, uh, but but people in California will start it at five. But the thing is, start... if it's eight o'clock in the morning, there's going to be a lot of shares and references and chatter, possibly on Facebook and other platforms to to rev up over the course of the day. <clears throat> well, we're thinking that people will be able to watch it on Wednesday, and then uh, they'll talk about it hopefully over the water cooler on Thursday. Okay, so so it'll go from Wednesday eight p.m. through. Saturday at what time? Through Saturday at 11 p.m. Eastern. 11 p.m. Okay. Okay. That's, that's enough time. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> we, feel, we felt that if we, we were going to release it on the traditional Friday, but the thing is, you know, people don't want to stay home and watch something on the Internet uh, on Friday, especially in the spring, because they're out socializing. Yeah. And you can't blame them. But if we were having a theatrical release, I decided not to have a theatrical release because <laughs> it's just too much hassle. 
Yeah. We, we, once we release all four segments, see, I don't know whether it's going to be successful or not. I honestly don't. I, this is like when we released Fiat Empire. I had no idea whether anybody would uh, respond to it or not. I just have no idea. You know, we all might be interested in the media because we're in the media. But, you know, I don't know. Um, the thing has been yeah. well – the thing has been supported to the point where we got it made. Yeah. But I don't know the rank-and-file people across the country, whether how much they care about yeah. the media or even – you know, but 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 James, here's the deal: with Alex not being or not making the cut, okay, inside the, does that mean that that you won't be able to? Let's say Alex Jones gave you a call tonight and said, you know, James, we want you on our show. We realize you know, you're going to be releasing this next week. Blah blah blah. Would you go and would you appear on on Alex's show? Yes, I would. Okay. And, and if Alex said to me, and if Alex said to me, uh, I will donate to the movie if you put me back in it and unveil me, I would do that. But you see, Fred, my, my movies are totally dependent on on um, donors. Yep. Okay. I mean, there's no big corporation funding these movies. Yep. From or some central source. Right? So I have to, I have to, to tell you the truth, I have to prostitute myself a little bit when it comes to doing the dance to get the money. Yep. And I have to do that in a way that isn't really out ethics or untrue to the movie. Yeah. Um, in other words, if one donor comes up and says, you know, I'll put 5000 up if you take Alex Jones out. Yeah. <laughs> and another one comes up and says, I'll give you 10000 if you keep him in. i got to go with the one that's going to keep him in yeah. because, frankly, I don't mind having Alex Jones in the movie. Yeah. But but some people just can't stand them. Yeah. You know, they quit listening. They quit listening to what he was actually doing. They've got him stereotyped in a box because he yeah, has yeah. And you know what? The years. people that told me to take him out, I even gave them clips of what he was saying, and they said they had no problem with what he said. Yeah. It's just that they hate Alex Jones. Yeah. Well, yeah. people like to hate for some weird reason. They doesn't help. But yeah, I think you he's know, getting people the bum just, rack. It's like a shame. People just can't. You know, even if you yeah. You should be willing to hear all viewpoints, whether you love them or hate them, I, I think. Well, he's had a successful run, and he's got a lot invested, and I think he's really trying his they're, best. They're his trying his you know, I, I have no quarrel with Alex. I'm just disappointed that he didn't help me support or didn't promote uh, Molan Labe when he actually appeared in Molan Labe, yeah. and he didn't help uh, support Midnight Ride. I just don't know why. Either. Hmm. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that is a strange. strange. That is strange. Yeah, and I've had people tell me that he's what we call opposition. He's opposition something or other. Controlled that he's opposition. not really. He, is it, I've had people tell me, and I won't mention their names because uh, I, I don't like to. I like to shy away from that. But I've had people tell me that um, he is, you know, been co-opted by the establishment, and mm-hmm. they don't want, and he doesn't want to actually spread the word about the militia system because it would actually work if Edwin's. Yeah. Edwin's plans were actually unfolded. The militia system would really, really bring back a balance of power to the states. And the globalists well, Alex, just can't have that happening. One, he has one of the biggest megaphones out there, and if he's not being, if he hasn't said boo about that very important subject, I know he would never, ever say boo about Bob Schultz and the right to petition. That was the other thing. You know, we all witnessed that. Wait, wait, wait. I'm not following, Fred. You're, are you saying he supported Bob or didn't? 
Did not. Did not? No. Really? Not, not in any direct way. I remember in conjunction with Aaron's movie, America, Freedom to Fascism, we were doing screenings uh, here in Chicago, and one of them was done at a 9-11 conference that Alex Jones was invited to to speak. He was one of the main headline speakers. And I walked up to him to introduce myself because I was the coordinator to help put that screen screening together at, at the 9-11 conference. And uh, I told him about Bob Schultz. He gave me the real cold shoulder. I mean, it was sort of like Bob doesn't exist and and, and, and sort of a, a tacit acknowledgement of, of Aaron. Now, he used Aaron once in a very key interview about David Rockefeller. That was sort of his stick with Aaron. But as far as directly, you know, promoting that, that, that movie in a very forefront kind of powerful way, Aaron, uh, I mean, uh, Alex Jones just was sort of on, on, the, on the periphery of that. The movement that helped support that movie was driven by the grassroots. People like Dee and Steve and I and all of us just all over the country. There was a movement that started and swelled up and supported the likes of Ron Paul. Uh, yeah, but, uh, you know? and you guys supported. You guys were the first ones to support Fiat Empire and Ron Paul in the movie. Yeah, yeah. And so was Bob Schultz's organization, We the People. Yep. So I am forever grateful to you all, and uh, it's a shame. I think the freedom uh, movement people should really be supporting each other. You know, we should become more collectivists. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, we need to become co- collectivists a little more, right? <laughs> yeah, James, uh, you know, in the last three to four months since the the, the rise of Trump in, in this whole thing, uh, there, there's been a vicious attack on alternative media uh, spearheaded by YouTube and Google to demonetize a lot of these channels of, of, of you know, gr- that have been great resources of information. I mean, their, their revenues from these, YouTube channels have declined 90% overnight in many cases. Really? They're, they're actually yeah. demonetized? How are they demonetizing they're, them? YouTube and Google are, you know, because they own each other or they're, they're together, uh, they're, they're putting algorithms inside and, and basically calling it fake news. And uh, oh they're putting some algorithm inside these things that uh, are, and they're messing around with the, the view counts, with the the likes, with the visitors, with the subscribers. I mean, it's really, really crazy, George, stuff is going on out there. Well, you know what? That was actually happening with when there was no such thing as YouTube, when there was just Google Video. Google, Google Corporation then bought YouTube. But when yep. we released Fiat Empire, they were monkeying around with, with counts. Yep. And I was observing that because I was logging the accounts. And it's almost like they don't want certain things to get too high of a count because then the more you know people watch it, the more they want to watch it, and it becomes too it goes viral, and then they get you know the well, mainstream that, control that, group what, loses. That's what happened with Aaron Russo's movie. I we uploaded Aaron's movie right here in Chicago. Uh, Rosalie Grable did it on her laptop, and and from that point, uh, over the next three months, uh, it got so viral. 38,000 websites and blogs, embed codes, because we could see the tracking on the back end of, of, of the Google video account that we, that we started to launch this thing. And uh, 38,000 websites, 38,000 blogs had the embed codes, and it was pushing 3 million views, hitting number one in the U.K., number one in many foreign markets, including Canada. 
And and all of a sudden, at the end of that three-month run, Google deleted the entire file without wow. any warning, without any any explanation. Just the whole thing is deleted. Wow. It was going crazy. It was just going that crazy. And, and Are there any other started. alternatives to YouTube that you know about other than Vimeo and... Uh, there are guys that, that talk about this on, on some of these channels and I just don't, I'm not an expert in that, but, but I've heard some of these things fancied about, uh, some well, if you ever hear of any alternatives, know. let me, let me know and I'll put okay. them out on my network because okay. I think it's, I think it's dangerous to be relying too much on YouTube. Yeah, I do too. Absolutely. I mean, I don't have any personal complaints. They've been pretty good to me. They've allowed, extended uh, my, you know, so that I can upload long uh, formats. Okay. They have, you know, I have gotten in a little trouble with them once once in a while when they start tightening up on music rights. Okay. Uh, but so far, they've been okay, and I've been playing by their rules. Um, but I don't like the idea that, you know, I'm just thinking to myself, I'm having this premiere, you know, on, on Wednesday, the movie's loaded up on YouTube already, ready to rock and roll. Will, All I have to do is just. I'm going to go over and I'm going to send you a link uh, tomorrow or late, later on tonight. Uh, there's this one guy who's done extensive research in this demonetization, all this stuff that's going on, and he mentions a couple of different sites, and I'll, I'll try to find that link for you, James, and send it to you. Yeah, well, you know, anybody can upload a video to their their regular web server. Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean, I can theoretically upload uh, mainstream to the Matrix server, um, and then put it up there as a with, as a um, MP3 or W WMV file or yep. something like that, a uh, MOV file. MOV. And, and so people can actually get it, you know. So, anyway, um, Fred, can we talk about Trump for a minute? Yeah, go ahead. I just wanted to get some people's thoughts on him. I'm still behind him. I'm still supporting him, but I'm having a few little problems with a few things he's doing. And I wonder if anyone else is. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a little bit disconcerted that he is sticking Jeff Sessions on Assange and uh, yeah. the other whistleblower. What's his name? Um, Snowden. 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 Yeah. Because uh, Assange really is doing nothing that the main line, the, the New York Times is doing. Snowden, of course, could be considered, a, you know, a quote criminal because he stole the information. But mm-hmm. what's your take on that? Why is uh, Trump, you know, going after a guy that's trying to warn Americans about the surveillance state? You know, I think Trump, Trump plays his cloak and dagger, has his cloak and dagger style, uh, James. I, I think he he gives people a false sense of of, of uh, security, and then uh, and then the hammer comes down. Look, I think this is kind of what he did with Comey. He he he, he let this guy walk and walk and talk and talk and and and, and go on, and and uh, and he uh, kind of did what he had to do, but. Uh, so, yeah, I don't have a problem with him firing Comey. I just, uh, uh, I don't know. He doesn't. He doesn't seem to be that experienced in government. Uh, Edwin said he made a very big mistake with the travel ban thing. He said that the he, he put out the the executive order, and then the court basically slapped it down. Yeah. Edwin said if Trump really knew what he was doing, he would simply ignore the court. <laughs> What's well, the court going to do? 
he did he did set that ninth district court right because that eighty percent of of the decisions they make are overthrown. Yeah, so but that, Trump that, shouldn't even should pretend the ninth circuit doesn't even exist. Well, he what can they do? They have no power over the executive. Well, he should just continue. Yeah, he's he's they're disempowered. You know, he's he's kind of took care of that. I mean. He proved, you know, he showed the public that they were 80% in the rears most of their decisions. So he at least made well, that I effort. I mean, is he, is he ignoring their decision and just going ahead with the travel ban? Well, yeah. I mean, I see why the travel ban's in place. I mean, you know, anybody that's not a Trump, you know, doesn't get the way that he's working is, is going to ban everything he does. It's just getting so Yeah, I, and so he, should, he shouldn't give these guys any, any credence. I mean... The Congress has the absolute authority to shut down anyone coming into this country, no matter what their skin. They can they can shut them down because you're the wrong color of brown. They can shut you down. They, absolute control over who comes into this country. They can shut you down if you have blue eyes. Yep. Um, so there's no question that the the Congress and the executive have much more power than the than the, than the court system. So you know he shouldn't even be he shouldn't even be talking to these people, and what are they going to do? They're going to call him, get him, call him in contempt of court, and then send a detail over to take Trump in. <laughs> Trump will call the reins on them, <laughs> and grab yeah. the judge and the whole goddamn a lot of them and throw them all in jail. Because he's not the only president that's made that ban. There's at least yeah, four of them. Uh, well, Jackson did that. Uh, Jefferson and Jackson did that. Even more current presidents have done it. So it's just that people aren't educated. They don't look in deep enough into the issue to know what's actually going on. Well, I, Trump, I have doesn't, to... Trump doesn't know how to play the game at the at the government level. He's you know just down at the developer level. Well, I, you, you know, know what that... I see him doing is he he's really doing things that people don't understand because he want he has to go against the deep state. You know, he, I mean, so he's he's making decisions about things and countries and doing all these different things he's doing. And most people don't understand that what he's actually doing is much different than what it looks like he's doing because yeah. he, he's trying to align to take, to deter the deep state. You know, that's why he's talking to Henry, Henry Kissinger and the Russian foreign minister, Lavrov and the China and North Korea, you know, they want to do what they call the one belt, you know, 60 countries lined up uh, against the, you know, and then he he will I think the central government bank is going to collapse. It's the only way to take down the deep state. And of course, everybody's going to go crazy and think that Trump's the antichrist, you know. So, but I don't see any way we can avoid that happening, no matter who's president. Yeah, well, okay, well, Didi, I'm not I'm not being critical of him except for a few little things because uh, I still think he's I I hear what you're saying. I think he's being. He's being uh he's a deal maker and he knows that in business you have to not call your shots, you have to be a little bit, you know, unpredictable. I do like the fact he's meeting with a lot of world leaders and trying to become friendly with them. Um rather than fighting hysteric. them all the time. Huh? They're going hysterical. People are going hysterical about that. It, it, I know, yeah, the military industrial complex is going hysterical. Well, people are, you know. I had to get off Facebook with a lot of my musician friends in Portland here because they were just being so terrible. And I thought, but I just the can't left do shouldn't this. be screaming because they don't want us policing the world either. They, they're, <laughs> Trump's doing the very things that they should love, but they can't. They hate to love them. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it, it's an interesting situation. Anyway, thank you. <laughs> hey guys, mainstreammedia.us/ Premier 
next Wednesday, 8 o'clock in the evening, to Saturday, 11 o'clock in the evening. Part one of Mainstream will be released for your viewing, listening pleasure. And uh, anybody out there, a real comment or question in the last for James Eggers. Alan Stevo is calling in to give us a Paris election update. He was boots on the ground in Paris, and he'll be on the call for about uh, five or ten minutes at the top of this hour before James Fetzer comes on. Anybody out there, a comment or question for James Yeager, real quick? Yeah, this is Nick in Texas. Uh, hey, James, how are you doing? Hey, Nick. Good. Um, did they give a reason? I mean, uh, as far as Alex Jones, is it just because they don't like him or uh, or they think he's – and you can you're, feel free to uh, use my name – Whenever, <laughs> as far as Alex Jones, I told you the story about him, uh, about my uh, you know experience with him. He, he doesn't want to promote militia because that is the answer, and uh, and I think he doesn't. Uh, he, he's part of the problem. But uh, yeah. I mean, is it just because his personality or um, just the? Um, well, the one person there were actually three people that that said uh, they don't like him. And they kind of said, let's see, I'm just, it was about a month ago, so I'm not totally clear on their precise language, but one of them simply said, I will not appear in a movie with Alex Jones. Either you remove him or you have to remove my interview. The other one said, uh, Alex Jones is a crazy conspiracy nut, and he sent me a whole montage of Alex Jones apologizing. Where You know, it's a, it's a whole 10 or 20 you know, shots of Alex screaming and yelling at the camera and then yelling and saying, oh, I'm sorry, and he's sweating. And he's, Have you seen this thing? I think, uh, yeah. Have seen think, yes, his apology yeah. reel? Where he says, how can you have, he said, this one particular person said, he discredits the credibility of your movie. Okay? And then the third person said, I just, I don't remember what the third person said. He was a very far right-wing Christian conservative. I mean, I don't mind. Um, uh, he puts out a lot of good stuff. Uh, he just won't go that extra step, which, you know, mainstream is trying to uh, subtly get across, I think. Well, I sent all three three of these people the clips I was using of them in the movie, and none of them said there was anything wrong, per se, with what he actually said in the clips. They just don't like Alex Jones. So, and, you know, that's and, the kind of stuff. And, I, you know, I'm a little irritated with him because he wouldn't help us promote Molan Labe, except right, he's right. in it. He had Edwin on his show. He's had Ron Paul on his show many times. Ron Paul's in the damn movie. <laughs> so is Pat Buchanan. You know, why wouldn't Alex Jones want to support something like that, talking about the Second Amendment, Article 1, Section 8, all that stuff? Well, as I say, I think all of these, even, even Oath Keepers, I don't think, these groups who are not promoting constitutional militia as the solution, that, I mean, they're very suspect in my mind. The NRA in particular. Uh, yeah, well, Larry Pratt is not in that group because Larry was been has been in both of the movies. He's been very supportive, interviewed great, and understands the situation. He's the you know gun owners of America's second largest oath keepers, yes. and you know, but NRA by far is you know massive. I mean, they've got millions of members that all think that the solution to their problem. And Heller, what Heller's all about is, oh, guns for sporting. And, and if you have your guns, you know, and the, and the state starts to come after you, the tyrants come after you, just hide in your cellar and you can take care of the tyrants when they come down the cellar stairs. 
<laughs> They're all for individual gun rights, but not organized individual yeah. gun rights. Absolutely. And, and that's uh, you if, know, if I find uh, if I find a campaign manager, I'm going to be dangerous. And that's what well, I'm still Well, if anyone there for. listening knows Alex Jones or you know has any influence with him, tell Alex. Say Alex, James wants you to promote Molon Lobby, and so does Edwin. Yeah, I'm sure everyone else in the movie does, and they, he would become a big hero if he did that with a lot of people. Because I've talked to a lot of people, and they're wondering that. You know, what's going on? Yeah. Does Alex support the Federal Reserve problem that we have to get rid of the Fed? Yeah, in sort of a, uh, you know, he he talks about global banking, global global corporate cartels, and he kind of moves that into a a different area. But uh, yeah, he not as forefront as a lot of us would like. Uh, as, as far as talking against the Fed. Uh, and, and does he really think that the Fed's just going to walk away if Congress, well, Congress yeah. isn't going to do It's going to have to be the people. Yeah. And also, really, is anybody ever going to be able to do it, anything with the Fed? I think it just might crash. You know, And like Edwin says, unless there's, unless there's gold and silver circulating and it can be equilibrated to the market, so when there's a crash, there's an alternative currency. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't, I don't think anyone's going to be able to. And no one's talking about the Fed anymore. It's, it's almost like the crazy ant in the attic at this point. Well, Texas well, just passed its uh, its uh, own you know gold reserve stuff. So we'll see what happens there. Well, they were Anybody hoping here? that Ron Paul, because the Fed is bankrupt. I think the Illuminati were hoping that Ron Paul's in the Fed thing would take off, and then they could blame it on that instead of the fact that it's going at, it's going down anyway. And I think that's what Trump is going to do. He's going to let it go down for the deep, sake of the deep state, ending their annex, and then we'll all be in the same boat figuring out what to do next. Do you think it will, it, will, it would end the deep, deep state? Well, yeah, there wouldn't be any chemtrails or you know all this other stuff that goes on if the dollar is no longer the you know the, the reserve currency. I, I don't see how it could go any other way. Yeah. Well, they 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 would be out of money, wouldn't they? Well, yeah, but it, <laughs> it would be, be worthless. And so would everybody else. And the, but we could at least have a prayer of doing something we prefer <laughs> instead of going well, back to that. I mean, I see what Trump's doing. You know, and people most ninety nine percent of the people that I talk to don't have a clue, and it's very frustrating. But I still think it's going to come down. <laughs> yeah, how are you going to pay off twenty trillion dollars? I mean, Trump thinks he's going to grow the economy. No, I don't think he's playing on that. I think he knows it's going to have to. He's going to have to come down. I don't. I don't think he's playing on. Do uh, you read the writings of Steve Bannon? Uh, uh, yeah, I'm wondering about Bannon. What's going on with Bannon lately, Fred? Well, uh, he's he's still involved, but he they 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 really uh, they, they don't want him in there close to Trump in any way, shape, or form. But he's still there. But not, uh, so not so who's they? Is, it, is Trump's got all these Goldman Sachs bankers and neocons surrounding him now? Uh, Kirshner, yeah. are they trying to edge edge Bannon out? Because that kind of irritates me too. Yeah, I think yeah. I, I think Kushner is the president. Yeah, Ooh. I mean, Ooh. why does Kirshner have so much uh, influence? Why is this like a standoff between Kushner? And I guess Kushner. They just found out today that Kushner uh, took. Uh, a huge loan from George Soros in the last year. Yeah. Really? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, if you look at I don't know what's going on. 
I don't think he's a brother to Daniel. He didn't account for it in the, in the White House paperwork. Why does Trump have all these Goldman Sachs guys all over the place? Well, he originally said it was so he could figure out how it was done because he didn't have a clue. He says it's a lot harder than he thought it was. I mean, I don't know. You know, I just I think there's a hidden agenda there. I can't help but thinking. Real quick, is Alan Spiegel on the call? Just a little shout out. Alan, are you there? Yeah, he's here, uh, Fred. I'm here, Fred. I'm here. Hey, thanks, Alan. Okay, real quick, we're going to do a a quick segue for Alan to have about five or six minutes. Uh, Nick, thank you for the commentary. James, thank you for the presentation. But anyway, James, one one final word before you go. Uh, What do you want to say? Oh, just thanks for having me on the show. I hope everybody enjoys the first part of Mainstream, which is going to be this Wednesday, the 17th, uh, starting at 8 at mainstreammedia.us slash premiere. And it's good to talk to you, Dee Dee, and good to talk to you, Fred. And everybody have a great weekend. James, thanks so much. Appreciate it, everyone. And uh, please support James and spread the link uh, on social media, by email, et cetera. James, thanks again. And, James, hang around because Alan Steve was going to tell us what, what he witnessed in France, in Paris last weekend. Alan, Okay. <laughs> And by the way, hey. Petra will be dialing in at the top of the hour. But go ahead, Alan. Okay. How you doing, Fred? How you doing, Dee Dee? Yep. Good. Hey. Thanks for having me on. Um, so I was in uh, in Paris, uh, watching the elections on the ground there, and uh, it was kind of it was interesting. Um, you know, I saw I saw that this Macron. He uh, he was a worked for the Rothschilds Rothschild Bank. Um, was the name of the organization. He uh, um, worked for the socialist government before, and then he went off, started his own party. And that was to kind of separate him from the others, but also to uh, kind of, it generally, it, it kind of uh, separated him from the roots of the various parties at the same time, which is kind of interesting. So Le Pen now... Now, you know uh, Macron was part of the Illuminati, right? I... It would be very hard for me to imagine otherwise. Le Pen, Le Pen, uh, now she started a movement. Macron's won, but Le Pen started a movement. And this is really something her opponent can't claim. So that's kind of exciting that uh, though she may have lost, uh, there is this this kind of uh, nationalism building there in this movement that even young people are involved in, which is very exciting to see. Um, while Macron and they were not associated. They were not associated with Macron, right? At all. Le Pen. Le Pen ran they were, against. They were there. Le Pen has a movement, a credible, substantial movement of young people and middle-aged people who who see see uh, a, a new thing, a new energy uh, brewing around around her. The ideals uh, expressed in her campaign. Totally. Okay. This is it's sort of like the Ron Paul, uh, sort of like the Ron Paul versus the old old line Republican. I think of it the same way. I think of it that way. Um, she doesn't seem to have any kind of since she's relatively young. She doesn't seem to have any baggage either that uh, that snuck up on her, um, which is very interesting. Um, her father, of course, is a different story. Her party is a different story, but her herself, she seems she seems pretty clean um, and. Now, Le Pen has this, this uh, you know, this 
strong political presence, this motivated base, um, and we haven't heard the last from Le Pen and her movement. Um, unless somehow tweaking, tweaking the European Union here and there is going to solve its woes, which it won't. So Le Pen, yeah. there's, there's something there, there's something to watch. Um, French elections aren't over for the year. Uh, June, there's going to be parliamentary elections now. And Macron being an independent, he has no one down ballot of him. Uh, Le Pen, though, has a party assembled. She's running her candidates. The traditional party is going to run their candidates. Um, and the French parliament, it's not as politically influential as the U.S. Congress. Um, nonetheless, the upcoming parliamentary elections are going to be another opportunity for Le Pen to advance her movement. Um, and it very much is uh, opposed to this, uh, this globalist kind of uh, um, grouping of, of Europe, uh, opposed to the European Union. Something that was very interesting, I went to uh, Macron's victory celebration, and uh-huh. uh, it, was, it was in front of the Louvre, um, and they played, um, they played Ode de Joy from Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, um, which is the, um, the, the, the anthem of the European Union. Um, wow. Even, yeah. Uh, when that played, I was very surprised. Um, they, didn't, they didn't play. They played the French national anthem at the end of the event, but at the beginning of the event, they played uh, the European anthem. Wow. Uh, the, uh, the electoral system I saw, um, I saw some really interesting things. So voter ID laws, um, this just, you know, I spoke to some extreme socialists who in the U.S. they would have very different opinions about voter ID laws or about voter registration, but he just kind of mm-hmm. laughed at our system. And in France, you show up to vote, you show an ID, uh, you show a passport, you show a driver's license. Those are your options. You need to show an ID to vote. Uh, in, in New York, in Illinois, you know, I've, I voted with my signature. That's how you're supposed mm-hmm. to vote in those places. Mm-hmm. Um, very different in France. Uh, they use paper ballots. Uh, yeah. The, the ballot box is made of glass. It's one person's job to stand there next to the ballot box all day long. The others, the others are all watching. Everyone mm-hmm. can see it. And yeah. you, uh, you show up, you get two pieces of paper. One piece of paper, when you register to vote, you get two pieces of paper. One says Macron on it, one says Le Pen on it, and then you get an envelope. And you can either void your vote by putting both of them in an envelope, putting neither of them in an envelope, or ripping up one of them and putting it in the envelope. Or you can vote legitimately. About 12% of the French population voted, voided their vote this election. Or you can vote legitimately by putting one single name in there and uh, turning it in. And it's really, uh, they, expect, they expect some intelligence from the population in order to vote because they're not going to apologize for someone voiding their vote or anything like that. And this was all really interesting. Uh, despite many immigrants being a large immigrant population, um, I, I did not see any interpreter in a polling place. Uh, I saw no foreign language election material. Everyone there is expected to uh, know what they need to know of French to be able to... Alan, did you witness and see them actually opening the envelopes and counting those pieces of paper before the assembly? Okay. I, I was not able to watch it. I would have liked to have watched that process. I was not able okay. to. Okay. Okay. 
because that would that, be really interesting. If they have oh, yeah. public, public transparent counting of the paper ballots. Uh, now the, we're about, yeah. The last polling place I was in, um, there were approximately 25 people gathered to watch the counting. Um, okay. So it's obvious that. Oh, so there this was. There, there is a counting process that is observable. Is what you're saying, but you, yeah, you didn't see I, that. I, but you, you saw the people I, that were assembled to do that. Yeah, I don't think it would okay. have been hard for me to get the the credentials to to be there in that room. Um, it okay, seems it. with 25 people in a polling place where there may have been 250 votes, um, mm-hmm. that seems to me a fairly a fairly yeah. open process for counting. Absolutely, yeah. That's good news. Yeah, it was a very, very interesting election. Um, that is that is the end of what I prepared for you because I, uh, I wanted to keep it short. Sounds good. Uh, now, Alan, you go back and forth. You were in Cuba the last time we had you on the call, and now you're in France. Man, you you get around. I got to got to give you credit. <laughs> Thank. I'd, I'd like to think I'd like to think the movement's everywhere. These uh. The movement for a better world is everywhere. That's what I'd like to think. I tell you, you're you're a, you're a man after the heart and soul of the of the, of the liberty freedom movement because uh, we need more people out out there like you that are that are good writers, good commentators, good observers of of, of liberty, of the truth in action in our world. Uh, thank you, Alan Stevo. Appreciate it. Uh, we're waiting for. Brad, Dee, thank you both. Thank you, Alan. Appreciate it so much. Bye, everyone. Keep in touch. Keep in touch, buddy. All right, we're we're waiting for Jim um, Jim Fetzer. He's he's closing out his call at the top of the hour, his show, and he's going to be dialing into our show any moment now. So please have some patience. So we may have to go through about five or six minutes in 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 a minute or two. If he doesn't dial in, I will give him a call. But he said he'd be calling in uh, a little bit after the top of the hour. Jim is going to be traveling to Las Vegas, where he's going to appear on a on a TV station number one and appear at a conference number two to present uh, some of the key highlight bullet points that he'll be presenting on the call tonight on the 100th anniversary of the birth of JFK. Uh, on the twenty, uh, the week it's it's the weekend of May 25 through 30. You will be doing this down in Las Vegas. I want to so say, Dave see. Wallen, I I had to mute you, Dave Wallen, because you had a lot of background noise. But please feel free to unmute yourself when that's gone. Hey, Sorry, shout Dave. out to Dave, Dave and Pat. How are you guys doing? Thanks for being on the call. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting us. We're just waiting patiently for Jim Fester to dial in, everyone. Uh, we're very thank honored you, to have him. Oh, thanks, Dave. <laughs> Is that you, Dave? Yeah, yeah thank you, Fred. And and, okay. and Pat. Yeah. yeah she's she's here beside me. Oh, hi, Pat. Hi, Dave. Yeah. We, we got our driver's license. We got our driver's license for the first time this this week. Oh uh, my God! Oh my God! And, and so. Um, <laughs> Hallelujah! Hallelujah, Dave! Wow! Yeah. Uh, we haven't had one since 2005. Involuntarily. Oh my with... God, Dave! Hallelujah! Wow. Yeah. So, so I'm look. I I want to talk to you after the show when we're off the line about Uber. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs>
Fred? Yeah. Uh, oh, geez. Fred, I'm here. Yes, sir. All right. Thank you. I, I was I I was here four minutes ago, but I couldn't okay. get on. I was muted, so I had to get off and call back. <laughs> oh, no I saw problem. you, but there was a lot of noise coming from your line. I didn't know that was you, Jim. Okay, great. <laughs> I don't think it was my my line, but uh, I understand. You know, I heard the background noise myself, so I didn't okay. you muted. It. I guess you, you took me out too. Just a, yeah, just guys, a yeah, this is this is really unusual to give Jim Fetzer only one hour to present anything because once once he starts, he can go on for hours, and we love and are thrilled by every time <laughs> every presentation you come on this call, but. What you're going to be doing out in Las Vegas is basically to honor the 100th anniversary of JFK's birth and uncover and expose some of this new Zapruder film evidence of the fraud uh, of, the, uh, of the release of the Zapruder film, number one. And, of course, all of these false flag events from 9-11 to Sandy Hook and beyond as well. So uh, thank you, Jim, for coming on real quick. And uh, feel free to take the floor right now, right here, right now. Well, it might be fun if it were in Las Vegas, but it's actually in L.A., Fred. L.A., excuse me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I'm going to be co-hosting a show called uh, Truth Be Told uh, at 5 p.m. on uh, on, uh, Friday to talk about and to actually lay out some background, including 15 indications of Secret Service complicity and setting them up for the hit, and then identifying... Uh, six of the shooters I've been able to determine. I mean, this is uh, this is solely my research, uh, but it's never been contested. I, I published this information oh at least five years ago, and no one has ever disputed any of the those I've identified, the shots they took and the impact they had, and you know how we how we understand the big picture of the assassination. And then, as you observe on the 29th, which happens to be Memorial Day. It's JFK's 100th birthday. Yep. And just to mention some of the others, this is, this is going to be a, a, a live stream uh, JFK conference. It, wow. It, it's a, yeah, it, it's a pay-per-view thing. But I'll tell you, when you learn the lineup and so forth, you may very well find it to be uh, uh, worth your consideration. Uh, we have as a, the speaker's include Roger Stone at 9 a.m. Pacific time. That would be 12 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Roger, of course, has published a book about LBJ, uh, you know, the man who killed Kennedy, the case against LBJ. I can elaborate on that at great length because Roger's got it exactly right. At 10 p.m., Edward Haslam, he he published a book called Dr. Mary's Monkey, uh, which is about uh, Lee Oswald, Judith Barry Baker, David Ferry, under the supervision of a woman by the name of Dr. Mary Sherman, where they were doing research involving actually mostly laboratory rats, but then they moved up to monkeys, hence the name Dr. Mary's Monkey, uh, where this was under the supervision of, of a Dr. Oshner, who was actually the head of the American Cancer Society, a bigwig, uh, in American science, but who insisted that he never be directly contacted. Uh, Judith Barry Baker was Lee's girlfriend in New Orleans at the time. Uh, yep. She has subsequently published a book about it called Lee and Me, 
Uh, and yep. while it's been it's been controversial because many don't want to believe what she said, Ed Haslam actually did a very thorough job of vetting her story. He went to all the locations. She specified where she'd been, uh, where she'd lived, you know, followed the trolleys and, and whatnot, and came up with giving her a clean bill of health. She was actually featured on uh, The Men Who Killed Kennedy by Nigel Turner in the ninth episode, which is in the eighth episode, which is entitled The Love Affair. The the, uh, seventh episode entitled The Smoking Guns featured me and many of my colleagues where actually Nigel Turner was interviewing me about the uh, 15 indication of Secret Service complicity already way back then. But he, yep. he brought in many of the other experts with whom I've collaborated, including uh, David W. Manning, MD, PhD, who's the leading expert on the medical evidence in the world today. So it's very good that Ed Haslam is going to be presenting. And I, I can take a break at any point, Fred. I know every one of the speakers and issues I raise is going to generate questions in the minds of the audience of those participating. So. You know, I'm glad. Jim, to why, take well, what, why didn't they put episode nine? Why didn't they allow episode nine of that series uh, to to actually air? No, no, it aired. It Did aired. It air? Sure, seven, eight, nine aired, and then generate tremendous controversy led by uh, Bill Moyers, Jack Valenti, people who had worked for Lyndon. Actually, the truth be told, uh, Jack Valenti married a secretary of Lyndon, whom Lyndon had impregnated. He regularly had his secretaries in the Oval Office. Uh, Lady Bird actually walked in on one time, after which Lyndon laid down strict instructions that he was to be told immediately when Lady Bird left the residential quarters. But, uh, yeah, Jack Valenti <laughs> married the former secretary of Lyndon. Uh, he has a daughter, Courtney, who's very tall and striking, looks very much like you might expect a daughter of Lyndon Johnson. Uh, he, wow. I, I got to know him. One of his most important mistresses was Madeline Duncan Brown. She'd been a young advertising executive when they began an affair in 1948. She bore him a, a son, Stephen, in 1950, who looked very much like his father. In fact, the mistake Stephen made was he wanted to have his legacy formally acknowledged legally. Lady Bird, of course, would never have stood for that. And actually, uh, 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 she or Lyndon had him uh, kidnapped and sent oh off to gosh. a military facility on a for, for, trumped-up charge of having gone AWOL, for which there was no basis. So he didn't appear in court the day they were going to hold the hearing, and the case was dismissed. I mean, Lyndon, you know, was brutal. But actually, the only one I've ever worried about in relation to my JFK research has been Lady Bird, because she, she was quite ruthless herself, although most Americans have no idea. But what they did, Fred, since you raised the question, is that it had been on um, either the History Channel or the Discovery Channel. They actually created a a, a fake symposium of individuals. One was, uh, it was was supposed to be historians on JFK. One was a historian of urban sociology from Penn. Another guy was a constitutional expert from UW-Madison where I reside now, and the third was uh, Robert Dalek, who was uh, very good on the life history of the Kennedys, but terrible, virtually ignorant of the assassination. They all came on to say, oh, it was inconceivable that Lyndon could have done this. But the fact of the matter is Lyndon forced himself on the ticket in Los Angeles in 1960, 
in order to be in the position to have Jack taken out so he could accede to the presidency. In fact, when it was announced, and, and, and he, he, he had manipulated the situation, uh, Jack had already extended the invitation to Stuart Symington. Lyndon wasn't on their long list, much less their short, but Bobby went yeah. by the Johnson suite to issue a pro forma invitation, which, of course, he expected the powerful Senate leader to decline. And when Lyndon jumped on it, Bobby and Jack were really startled. He threatened to expose that Jack suffered from Addison's disease, wasn't expected to live a long, healthy life, that he'd converted with beautiful women, some of whom were spies for his Germany. Uh, Lyndon also said that if he were not on the ticket, then any legislative proposal sent down by the White House would be dead on arrival because he, as a majority leader, would block them. Bobby and Jack anguished over this, but they couldn't figure out a way out of it. So they blackmailed the Kennedy brothers. He did. Yes, yes, yeah. Well, Lyndon wow. was a genius at, at this sort of thing. He could, he could virtually instantaneously size up a man's weaknesses and, and you know, knew just how to apply the right kinds of pressure. When a wealthy backer of Lyndon, hearing the news, he'd be running with JFK, burst into their the Johnson suite, cursing and swearing. Because now he's going to help get JFK elected president. Bobby Baker took him into a bedroom and explained to him what they had in mind. He came out all smiles and said he thought that was an excellent plan. Uh, Bobby Baker would later. You mean to kill Kennedy? To kill Kennedy? Of course. Bobby Baker would later come out and announce that JFK would not live out his term in office and he would die a violent death. Uh, the fact of the matter is, as Billy Saul Estes reported, who knew these guys up close and personal, including Mac Wallace, who was Lyndon's personal hitman who murdered a dozen people for Lyndon, including one of his own sisters, and Cliff Carter, who was Lyndon's chief administrative assistant, Lyndon actually sent Cliff Carter down to Dallas to make sure all the arrangements were in place for the assassination. So, you know, he, he was profoundly involved. Then you, then you have Wayne Madsen, who's, of course, uh, you know, a, a, a leading investigative jur- journalist. Wayne is particularly good on foreign affairs and, and corruption and so forth. Uh, he is weak for reasons I don't understand about, uh, you know, o- obvious phony events here in the United States like Sandy Hook or the Boston bombing or Orlando, yeah. uh, all of which, on, on all of which I have published books with, you know, a dozen or more contributors, including typically a half a dozen uh, current or retired PhD professors. Uh, we do a very thoroughgoing job on all these things. Anyone with a keen interest should check out moonrockabooks.com because they're all available at moonrockbooks.com where we have two that are about to appear, one on JFK, where we've been doing the final, final tweaks before going into print to make it as nearly flawless as possible from the point of view of grammar, punctuation, hyphenization, double-checking dates, spellings of names. But it will be out before the 29th. It's entitled JFK, the Who, the How, and the Why. And it's like uh, 557 pages with like a hundred and, I mean, a thousand and eighty-seven photographs. I included every frame of the Zapruder film there, by the way. We have the first time ever done. We have a version that was created by John P. Costella, who is a Ph.D., in physics with a specialty in electromagnetism, including the properties of light and of uh, images, uh, uh, of moving images, who did a brilliant tutorial you can find uh, at assassinationscience.com 
uh, which was my first website, but also at assassinationresearch.com, which is an online journal for advanced study of the death of JFK, which I co-edit with John P. Costella. And uh, we have all the frames from the new version he created, which takes out, gets rid of uh, uh, aspect ratio distortion, gets rid of pincushion distortion, gets the frames in the right order, restores the missing frames. The heretofore best version had been put out by MPI, but it had a whole host of defects, which I inventory in the great Zapruder film hoax, a third of the three of my original books, where this will now be the fourth, whereas many of you may be aware, I chaired or co-chaired five national conferences, Indianapolis, 1999, uh, uh, Duluth, uh, I mean, uh, uh, Dallas, 2000, Dallas, 2001, Duluth, 2003. That was specifically on the Zapruder film. And then a 50th observance event in Santa Barbara in 2013. So I'm glad to be going out to L.A. to do this event, which will be live streamed. Uh, Beyond Wayne, we have Barb McClellan, who actually worked in the law office of Joe Clark, who was uh, Lyndon's uh, primary attorney who helped to plan the assassination and the cover-up. So Barb McClellan's got to say a lot about it. Gary Fannin will be there. Uh, let's see, Gary is uh, talking about uh, uh, the ballistics and, and pathological findings in the framing of Lee Harvey Oswald. Uh, he, he's taken apart uh, claims made by Commission member John J. McCloy, who was, by the way, at the ratification meeting at the home of Clint Murkison Sr. the night before, which Madeline has reported in copious detail. Well, it's only about three dozen people there, but some heavy hitters. Uh, J. Edgar Hoover was there. Uh, she thought, in fact, it was probably in his honor. He frequently stopped in Dallas and stayed at the Murkison home on the way to to California uh, to the Del Mar racetrack with his close personal friend, Clyde Tolson, where when, when Edgar put down a bet, his horse invariably won. The racetrack just happened to be owned by Clint Murkison Sr. Uh, but also there were uh, Richard Nixon, Madeline remembered he was driven out to the event by a, a local Republican leader who worked in the same bank building where she was the young advertising executive. George Brown, Brown and Reed Heavy Construction, he was there. When the Vietnam War went down, which Jack would have ended, but of course uh, Lyndon pursued with great vigor, uh, the, the Brown and Root got a billion dollars to dredge a new port at Comron Bay. Now, Vietnam has many magnificent natural ports, and I'm quite sure they didn't need an artificial one. But that was a nice way of putting a billion dollars in the pocket of Brown and Root. John J. McCoy was there. He was our former high commissioner to Germany after World War II and had served as a chief executive officer at Chase Manhattan Bank. So he was there representing the Eastern Establishment, where Jack had already instructed the department, had the Department of Treasury published hundreds of millions of United States notes on the ground that it was absurd for the government of the United States to be paying a consortium of private banks interest for printing the currency of the United States. These were uh, labeled United States notes rather than Federal Reserve. They had a red embossed imprint instead of green. I recall as a young Marine Corps officer holding one of these bills in my hand and noticing its distinctive features. So, of course, uh, they were very eager to get Jack out and to replace him with uh, the the, uh, uh, policies of Lyndon Johnson. Uh, William Matson Law will be participating uh, talking about the JFK autopsy, what happened in Bethesda, where he's done interviews with 
a whole lot of firsthand witnesses. Uh, David Mandig has strongly endorsed William Matson Law as a, as a good guy doing serious research. Oh, by the way, Mad, Mad, uh, Wayne Manson is going to be talking about Rafael Cruz in New Orleans. Remember how much Trump was beat up for pointing out that Ted Cruz's father actually had been yeah. in the trademark with Lee Oswald when he was handing out fair play is for that, Cuba. Is that, is that true? Is that true? Yes, yes, 100% true. We already knew that he was there. Uh, he, yeah, he was a he was a he, he w- was living in New Orleans. He was very active anti Castro. Uh, but get this, Fred, uh, uh, he was also captured in a very famous photograph uh, on Main Street in Dealey Plaza on 22 November 1963. A photograph which, in a crop version, I put on the cover of my first book, Assassination Science. So right there on the cover of my book, in the upper right hand corner, you can see Rafael Cruz standing beside Antonio Vesiana, who is the founder of Alpha 66, perhaps the most vicious of all the anti-Castro organizations. And I tell you that he should have been in those two locations, on those two crucial occasions, makes the improbability that he was not on the fringe of the JFK assassination approximately zero. I mean, it's just stunning. And Donald Trump, you know, like so many issues where he's 100% correct, has nevertheless castigated Larry Rivera, who, who has just done some of the most uh, brilliant and creative work of the last decade on JFK, will be talking about uh, the identity of the man in the doorway captured in a very famous photograph by James Ike Alchin, an AP photographer, whose identity has been much disputed. In fact, if you go back to uh, Whitewash 2, photographic whitewash by Harold Weisberg, who was among the first generation of students, at the back few pages of Whitewash 2, you find a series of studies of his in explaining how the Warren staff was going out of the way to conceal the fact that that figure in the doorway was actually Lee Harvey Oswald, just as he had claimed to Will Fritz during his interrogation, where he told Fritz when, you know, about where he was during the shooting, out front with out with Bill Shelley in front, where Bill Shelley was one of his supervisors. Uh, not only was that Harold Weisberg's opinion, it was also the opinion of Jim Garrison. Well, we've done a huge amount of research on this, especially inspired by by Ralph Sinkay, who was the founder of the Oswald Innocence Campaign, uh, who recognized that the key to identifying the figure is the clothing, the height, the weight, the build, the shirt, the outer shirt, and the T-shirt he was wearing, which are virtually indistinguishable from the height, the weight, the build, the shirt, and the outer shirt Lee Oswald was wearing when he was arrested. And because uh, they wanted to suppress comparisons, they made him take off his outer shirt to be photographed for his mugshot only in his T-shirt, which is one of those signs of consciousness of guilt. They they were aware that he actually... Oh, that's why he was wearing a T-shirt. Oh, my God. Interesting. That's right. It's very peculiar, isn't it? Wow. But in fact, that means not only could he not have been the lone gunman, he cannot have even been one of the shooters. And in fact, as I've observed, I, 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 I have identified six, their locations, where they were, the shots they took. John Barber, who turns out to be a, 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 an Emmy-winning uh, producer of films, uh, known as the father of reality TV, five Emmys to his credit, uh, is produced a new film uh, called, let's see, oh, yeah, the, 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 the Second Assassination of JFK, 
by the mainstream media, which is going to be broadcast on Sunday. We're going to have a panel discussion about the film, and the discussion will be broadcast as the last part of the program uh, on Monday. So it's going to be pretty damn interesting, and there's already been efforts by the government to suppress it, uh, which doesn't surprise me all that much, I suppose, all things considered, since this is one of the greatest scandals in American history and the fact that once you see through one of these events and how extensively, how massively the government disinformation machine works, how you're subjected to propaganda 24-7, you no longer are so easily taken in. In fact, they invented the phrase conspiracy theorist in a memorandum about how to cope with critics of the Warren Commission who were pointing out, for example, that the backyard photographs one of which was published on the cover of Life magazine, where apparently Lee Oswald is holding the man liquor Carcano wearing a pistol belt with a revolver with which he's alleged to have shot J.D. Tippett holding two communist newspapers. I mean, there's a whole story in one photograph, right? But it turns out that this was one of a series of photographs. Oswald told uh, Will Fritz that that was his face pasted on someone else's body. He had it exactly right. Jack White, a legendary student at JFK, was able to prove it. He even testified to the House Select Committee on Assassinations that those photographs had been faked in some detail, pointing out, for example, that the chin is not Oswald's chin. It's a blocked chin, that there's an inside line between the chin and the lower lip where they paste it in his face, that the shadow and the expression are exactly the same in these four or five different photographs, even though they're taken at different times and different positions, which is an optical impossibility, that the fingertips of his hand holding the the newspapers were cut off, uh, missing. In fact, Jack discovered if you use the newspapers who have known dimensions as an internal ruler, you can determine the height of the individual in the photograph who's only five foot six by that standard when Lee was known to be about 5'10". So it's too short to be Lee Oswald or alternatively, which Jim Mars and I believe, we published an article about this entitled Framing the Patsy, the case of Lee Harvey Oswald. When they introduced the, photograph, the, the newspapers into the photograph, they made them a little too large so that you got a shortening of the height in fact, we even believe we know who was the person who stood in for for Lee on several grounds. He has that same block chin. He's about the right height and so forth. And he has this funny lump on his right wrist. Uh, well, that funny lump was on the right wrist of Was Roscoe White, who was an, a Dallas police officer, was tied to the CIA. He was one of the six shooters I identified. He had the easiest shot from the grassy knoll but they were under strict instructions that Jackie was not to be harmed. And when it came time for him to take it, he would have hit Jack, but he also would have damaged Jackie. So he actually pulled his shot and wound up winding in the grass opposite the grassy knoll where it was picked up by a lieutenant and disappeared forever. Hey, Jim, you're going over the Zapruder film fakery. Uh, Is there any reconstruction by this, technician of, of the actual complete full stop of the limousine in 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 the reconstructed uh, film well we, we uh, there there are many proofs of what happened in the film but you know if you don't realize if you haven't put together uh, everything we know about what actually did happen 
it, mm-hmm. it's very difficult to appreciate how extensively they revised the the uh, the, the original film. But let me give you some background about it. Uh, we not only have those 15 indications, they left two agents behind at Love Field. They put the vehicles in the wrong order. JFK was put out front. He should have been in the middle. He should have been preceded by the mayor and then the vice president. Otherwise, people come out, they see JFK, they wander away. They don't even bother to stick around for the lower-ranking dignitaries. Yeah. They canceled the truck that would have preceded the presidential limousine. For news photographers and cameramen to ride, this was a big political event. They cut the motorcycle escort down to four and instructed them not to ride forward of the rear wheels. One of the officers said it was the damnedest formation he'd ever seen. They did not weld the manhole covers. They didn't close the open windows. The motorcade route was changed four days before the event, which is an absolute violation of Secret Service protocol. They fixed a motorcade route and never change it because they have to investigate the occupants of all the buildings along the way. They have to close all the windows. All this was grossly violated. They ordered the 112th Military Intelligence Unit that should have been distributed throughout the city for crowd control to stand down. The crowd was allowed to spill into the street 8, 10, 12 deep. We have one uh, photograph of the limousine right beside a bus, a bus of all things on Main Street where someone with a handgun could have easily shot JFK. And the crowd is spilling out. I mean, this is indicative of a total failure of any security. Uh, then they had uh, cha- the, the, the route involved uh, a 90-degree turn from Main Street onto Houston and then a 110-degree turn back onto Elm Street, which was designed to slow down the vehicles without alarming the occupants. It, it turns out that uh, William Greer, the driver, uh, mistook a little frontage road in front of the book depository for Elm Street. He swung out too widely, and there was a massive concrete abutment that he nearly hit. So he actually had to pause there and get back in line. Roy Truly, who is uh, Oswald's supervisor above uh, Bill Shelley, uh, reported very clearly on what happened there. But this was so embarrassing, they actually removed it from the extant version of the Zapruder film. So while Zapruder reported that he began filming when the motorcade first approached from Houston to turn onto Elm, you have a huge gap, which I surmise may be as many as 100 frames at the yeah. rate of 18.3 frames per second of this first uh, 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 turn, which was uh, you know so messy. But then when he got back in line, he, he pulled the limousine to the left and to a halt after bullets had already begun to be fired. Jack had already been hit in the back by a shot fired from the top of the county records building uh, by a deputy sheriff by the name of Harry Weatherford, and now I'm reporting my, my conclusions, using a .30-06, which is a larger caliber than a Mannlicher Carcano, to fire a Mannlicher Carcano bullet and Im- embedded in the body of JFK using a plastic collar known as a sabot. Uh, Jim and I both agree on all of this as we agree about Roscoe White being the man in the in the backyard photographs uh, and he had been shot in the throat by a bullet that actually passed through the windshield by uh, an Air Force expert shot by the name of uh, Jack Lawrence who was inside the triple underpass on the left side he had three different roadways coming together and converging there and then coming out and splitting so as he was approaching Elm Street, I mean, it was just a perfect shot. They actually had to move JFK's military aide, 
who would normally have been sitting in between Greer, the driver, and Kellerman, the agent in charge, to the very last vehicle with his personal physician, Admiral Berkeley, in order for the shot to be to take place, because otherwise he would have hit the military aid. So Kellerman and Greer both knew the shot was coming, passed right through the windshield, hit JFK in the throat. So in this extremely famous photograph taken by James Ike Alchins, the AP photographer, Jack's already clutching his throat. The Secret Service agents are looking around, several of them apparently looking at the doorway because Oswald was there. And, uh, you know, it's just stunning stuff. Uh, You can also see in that photograph the window in the Dow Tax, which was to the broom closet for a uranium mining operation that was a CIA asset from which three rounds were fired. These were the only unsilenced rounds. They were fired by an uh, uh, anti-Cuban marksman by the name of Nestor Tony Escadro. Uh, because the man liquor Carcano is so inaccurate, even though he had uh, perfect virtually on the horizontal because Elm Street slopes 11 degrees, uh, perfect shots, but the, the, the one missed and hit a curbing and injured a diff- distant bystander by the name of James Tag. Another missed, hit the chrome street over the windshield, uh, but the third during the limo stop hit Jack in the back of the head. He slumps forward. Jackie eases it back up, is looking him right in the face when he's at the right temple by a frangible or exploding bullet that blows half his brains out the back of his already weakened cranium to the left rear with such force that when they hit Officer Bobby Hargis riding there, he initially thinks he himself had been shot. Now, I initially, that shot, by the way, was fired by Frank Sturgis, who is a, a rather a soldier of fortune, maybe one of the best shots in the world at the time. He would later be arrested in New York City by a New York Gold Shield detective by the name of Jim Rothstein when he came to murder Marita Lawrence, who'd been a mistress of Fidel and who'd even known a lot about the assassination. They didn't want her to testify. When he entered Marita's uh, apartment, Jim Rothstein put a 38 up to his head and took him into custody. During their conversation, he used the throwaway line, good shooting, and Sturgis confirmed that he'd fired the shot that he'd aimed for JFK's eye, which is a classic mob hit, but that he'd moved slightly, so he hit him in the temple instead. And he'd done it because he'd betrayed the brigade during the Bay of Pigs invasion, an impression the CIA allowed to stand. It wasn't actually literally true, but they allowed that impression to remain. And because he'd been cavorting with, you know, women who are spies for other countries, which was, of course, true. Uh, so we got actually a confession from him. I've discussed this with Jim Rothstein myself. Uh, other shots were uh, fired uh, from the grassy knoll. Uh, I guess I already mentioned Roscoe White fired that shot, but it wound up in the grass. Then from the book depository, not from the, the so-called uh, uh, assassin or sniper's lair, uh, on the east, but on the west side, uh, Malcolm Mack Wallace, Lyndon Johnson's hitman, whom I mentioned before, had killed a dozen people for Lyndon, including his own sister, had fired uh, uh, shots at John Conley in the mistaken belief that it was Ralph Yarborough. Uh, Lyndon had a huge fight with JFK that morning to get Conley out and Yarborough in. Uh, Yarborough, of course, was a liberal Texas senator whom Lyndon despised. Conley was his close buddy and crony. They profited from many scams, uh, some of which were facilitated by Billy Saul Estes, by the way. 
Uh, but Jack overrode him on the ground that the chief executive of the state should ride with the chief executive of the United States. There wasn't time to get information to the shooters. So he wound up being shot, which actually obfuscated the, the, the politics of the situation. But get this, Larry Rivera has recovered the Fred Newcomb interviews. This is an early generation student who interviewed all four of the motorcycle escort officers and their supervisor, Stavis Ellis, and discovered that during the motor motorcade uh, stop, during the limo stop, Officer Hargis, right to the left rear, parked his bike, got off his bike, ran between the two limousines up to the grassy knoll from which he believed the shots had been fired. Officer Douglas Jackson on the other side motored up the grassy knoll, actually literally rode his bike up the grassy knoll until it fell over. Then he got off and pursued on foot. Uh, five agents got out of the Secret Service Cadillac, known as the Queen Mary, surrounded the presidential. One took a piece of skull from a little boy and threw it into the back seat. So that, whereas I have heretofore supposed the limo stop was of relatively brief duration, maybe six to eight seconds max, when you put together all this activity, during which, by the way, also Cliff, Clint Hill was rushing forward, Jackie was climbing out on the trunk after a big chunk of JFK's skull and brains, and Clint pushed her back into the seat and then lay across their bodies and was the first to observe the fist-sized blowout to the back of JFK's head, causing him to turn and give his colleagues a thumbs down because the president was already dead. Uh, all this was such an obvious indication of Secret Service complicity, they had to take it out. But would you believe we even have you know, remnants such as this? We have photographs where you can see the, the, the tire marks of, the, of Douglas Jackson's motorcycle as he mot where he motored up on the grassy knoll. And we have photographs of, uh, of, of Bobby Hargis walking back toward his bike from having run up onto the grassy knoll and then getting ready to remount his bike, all of which helps us to position exactly where all this activity took place. So all of this and many other indications, including internal proofs, uh, such as that they blacked out the, the blowout to the back of the head in early frames, especially from uh, uh, 314, 315, 316, 317. But they overlooked that in later frames you could actually see the blowout. So I discovered when I the thought crossed my mind that you could actually see it in frame 374, which means the film isn't even internally consistent. Uh, John Costello demonstrated that the Stemmons freeway sign, when they put it back into the film, was placed in the wrong position. So there's a sequence, you know, just an indication of the extensiveness of the adatine. Uh, I now believe that while we have these 487 extant frames, that run in 26 seconds, that when you take into account the extra as many as 100 frames from the first nearly running into the concrete abutment and all this other activity, I think the total would have run about 1,000 frames or a great deal longer than what we have available now. I also show a comparison between uh, the Zapruder and the Nix film, which was taken from the opposite side. These are the two most comprehensive of what took place. They edited the Zapruder and used it as a guideline to modify the Nix but they didn't get it quite right, so that in the next film, Jackie goes further out on the trunk and Clint Hill further in than is true of the Zapruder. And of course, we have all the witnesses to the limo stop. We have a half a dozen other students of the case who've actually seen the unedited film or what appears to it to be 
they describe it as the other film since they can't vouch that what they're seeing is the complete original. And it may or may not be, but they all where, confirm where, the where did they stuff. see Where did they see that film, James? Jim? Well, they're evasive about where they saw Huh? Okay, they're, the film, you're saying these students saw the film that had more content than, than when they saw it later. Where right. did they? Okay. Well, so, it, uh, I, they've been a bit evasive about not wanting to specify, and I think that's for their own safety, frankly. But one of them, Rich Della Rosa, who ran the JFK Research Forum, a super good guy, actually saw it on three different occasions, believe it or not. And I was so impressed by what Rich had to say. About, he was very, my very first guest when I had my very first radio show. Uh, you can find the interview on uh, radiofetzer.blogspot.com if you go all the way back to the beginning, where he talked about how he saw the limousine be brought to an abrupt halt and how uh, JFK was hit twice during this, and once in the back of the head and slumped forward, then the second time hit in the right temple and slumped to the left. Now, you see, they sought to merge those two wounds when they revised the film so that all you have remaining from the first hit is one frame. From 312 to 313, his head is moving forward. Then you get this violent back into the left. No one saw that in Dealey Plaza. Uh, uh, and in fact, that occurs because they took out, they edited so many films that his motion back into the left became jerky because he simply slumped to the left. It was uh, like a gentle slumping to the left. But they took out so many frames that in the extant version, you get this massive back into the left. But of course, it's bad enough that it remains back into the left because that's indicative of a reaction to a shot fired from the right front, as indeed was the case. So. You know, some of those who have been involved in early research on this subject uh, ha have betrayed the cause, turned out to be working for the other side. One of the first books I read, for example, about the assassination when I returned from a tour of duty 13 months in the Far East as a Marine Corps officer was Six Seconds in Dallas by Josiah Thompson. I'd majored in philosophy. I would become a philosophy professor. He was a philosophy professor. He'd been in the UDT uh, and he published a book that was a study of the Zapruder film uh, and, uh, about the shot sequence that was supposed to be three shots within six seconds. Uh, at the time, I thought it was very impressive, where the, by far the best was a very scientific, detailed study of the double shots. We even had graphs showing how the head goes forward for this one frame and then back, back uh, you know, violently and to the left. I mean, by far the best part of his book, so that when... Uh, this must have been five years ago or so on, when I was active on the uh, Education Forum, one of the leading sites at the time for discussion of JFK. When he began backing away from the double hit theory, I knew that he was setting himself up to denounce conspiracy theories on the occasion of the 50th observance. So uh, when the New York Times began to publish interviews with Josiah Thompson, that were going to ultimately be a sequence that might have been, I don't know, as many as 60 of these relatively short interviews that only ran about six minutes long by a very famous director. The first one was about the umbrella man who had been observed pumping his umbrella up and down, which was a visible from all the shooting locations. It was a sign that the target was still alive, so you should keep shooting. 
but he was going to explain it away, how it was innocuous and how you can have all these things that you leap to a conclusion and that when you do further study, you find there's nothing mysterious about them. They have a simple explanation. And I blew that out of the water with a, an article entitled, uh, 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 what was it, uh, J, J, JFK, the CIA, and the New York Times, where I just dissected this whole claim and explained what was going on here, how this was a piece of propaganda. And I suppose now, I surmise, because of that article, they didn't continue the series. He only put up the one. It was going to be quite extensive with his very famous producer and director, but it backfired because I was able to take it apart and show exactly what was going on there. This is a chapter in the new book, JFK, The Who, The How, and The Why at moonrockbooks.com, by the way, which should be out, I'm going to guess, 10 days from now, certainly before the 29th, we intend to have it out. Um, well, let's see, what, 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 what other stuff, what, what else would you like me to address, Fred? Oh, you uh, talked about where, you said where they saw it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, one of those who's seen it is a French journalist by the name of William Raymond, so that when Jan and I were going to be in Paris, uh, I've been to London seven different times, and a couple of those occasions, Jen was with me, and one, we took the train through the channel and went to Paris. He was going to visit Versailles and all that. He was going to have me view the film, but the owner backed out, and in the end, I was unable to actually take a look, which I would have found utterly fascinating. But no, yeah, so the, the, the film exists, is what you're saying. Oh yeah, the film exists. Yeah, sure. Okay, but but you you have people have there are people who you have talked to who have seen it in its entirety with uh, without the gaps of the supporter film, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, for wow. example, it includes oh yeah, it includes God. a whole turn, you know, from Houston on to Elm, for example, the the limo stop, the double hits to JFK, is slumping forward, is slumping to the side. Uh, now, all this other activity we get from the from the motorcycle escort uh, officers, I haven't gone back to confirm with them. That's a relatively recent development, and we have such powerful proof of it. You can find two videos online uh, by Larry Revere about it entitled The JFK Horseman, uh, Part 1 and Part 2, that are utterly fascinating. And, you know, Larry is just doing all this completely brilliant work I, I continue with uh, JFK research with a group of four of us, Gary King, who's a longtime student at JFK, and these, these videos are put up at his YouTube channel, Gary King YouTube channel. You can find the new JFK show with, with Gary and Larry Rivera and Don Fox and myself, where we're doing you know the cutting-edge research on JFK. It's not happening anywhere else but on the new JFK show. So, you know, I recommend that as a resource, but you can check out in particular Larry's brilliant work because he had these tape recordings with the officers that Fred Newcomb had conducted in 1971. Uh, and, you know, they all correspond to one another in the cr crucial respects. Uh, and it's just utterly fascinating how much was going on, which is part of what led me to conclude that the limo stop could not have been merely six or eight seconds, but it had to be as much as 20 or 30 seconds long. I have a question, Fred. Sure. Uh, I have invited during this conversation, Jim, uh, Ed uh, Kendrick, uh, Dr. Dentist, uh, 
uh, from Kansas City on the call. It would be an 816 uh, number uh, that he might want to chime in here. He's an expert, too, on uh, JFK to 901. In fact, we have shown here in Kansas City, uh, based on Ed's uh, compiling, uh, he's not the expert you are, I don't think, Jim, but he is a very avid follower and researcher on this subject. And he said he's talked to you in the past, but not about this subject. Yeah, the name is, the name is very familiar. You know, I'm sure we've met or conversed, yes. I, I hope that, that he will come on by doing Star 6, Ed, uh, if, you're, if you're here, um, because he said he was going to come on. And, yeah, I'm glad to have him, sure. Uh, I'm... Uh, I'm not sure he will. Is is there another eight one six area code on here? Hey, Dave. Yeah, there's Ed. Ed. Uh, yeah. Uh, Dave. Venter I'm just. And I'm just Fred here Smart. I'm just uh, here to listen. I've got. I've, uh, before you guys engage, I would like you to more than I spend time, but I would like to ask a, a couple of questions of Jim. Uh, the one yeah. is uh, the first question is two part. How many shooters were there? Well, I've identified six. There may have been one more. There was the Dallas deputy sheriff. There was the oh, Air Force expert. There was the the, the Dallas police uh, officer. There was the the you know Frank Fr- Fr- uh, Sturgis. Uh, there was a M- M- Mac Wallace. Those are six. There may have been a seventh shooter behind the grassy knoll behind the picket fence. Ed, and some uh, have suggested it was uh, James Files who has claimed he made that shot, but there's a couple of aspects of Files that lead me to disbelieve him, including that when he did his initial reporting about his alleged role in, in a video interview entitled uh, Im, Im, uh, Confession of an Assassin, where he's being interviewed by Jim Mars, he didn't mention the limo stop which set up his shot. Now, that was very telling to me. But even equally discrediting was he claimed he'd been invited to participate in the assassination that morning, which is ridiculous. This was all set up well in advance. It even appears to have been rehearsed the night before. And the idea that anyone would be simply brought in that morning to me is beyond belief. Weapon he claims to have used, however, very interesting, the Remington Fireball. It's a it's a high-velocity pistol with kind of a, a, a shoulder extension. That may have been one of the weapons used during the assassination. The, the weapon interests me more than Files himself. Jim? Yeah. Uh, Ed, how many uh, shooters were there in your understanding? I don't Ed? claim any expert. I don't. Uh, what, uh, what I'm referring to, Jim, is the film called JFK to 911. It's about three and a half hours. On YouTube, have you seen that film? No, actually, I haven't. Tell me about it. Okay, but uh, that film is what we've shown here, and believe it's the most current version that that shows eight shooters. Correct, Ed? Does it identify them? Where does it position them? Uh, uh, in the buildings of six and two uh, by the police officer in uh, in the. Uh, drain to, uh, in a perfect position about 15 to 25 feet away for, for the shot that took Kennedy's head you're, off. You're talking about the storm drain right there on Elm Street? Yes, sir. Well, Dave, uh, David Mandick and I went there to check out that hypothesis. David actually climbed down into the storm drain. 
Now, understand, David has a Ph.D. in physics. He's an M.D. He's board certified in radiation oncology. He's a leading expert on the medical evidence in the world today. The trajectory was wrong. The shot was not fired from the storm drain. There was an above-ground sewer opening. There was one on both the south end and the north end of the triple underpass. Frank Sturgis used that storm drain opening, which was ideal if you had a certain amount of camouflage to fire the shot. Because, look, from that storm drain, you would be shooting upward. Uh, JFK's brains, remember, were blown out to the left rear. And, you know, it's an interesting yeah. hypothesis. I don't regard it as wild or, you know, purely it, uh, speculative. I think it's interesting, but it doesn't appear to be true. To the listeners, uh, it, that three-and-a-half-hour video is well worth watching anyway because it does identify, if I remember correctly, at all the shooters. And it it also, does identify shooters? It identifies the shooters? Yeah. Very good. Can you give me the names it identifies? I you happen to recall? Yeah, I okay. don't have all these. <laughs> okay, well, obviously, I need to watch it, sure. I look yeah. forward to that. Yeah. I, I, oh, I am. And, and and so do the listeners here uh need to it, it seems redundant but but it is it is it compile it compiles without editing a whole lot of films if you recall uh fred uh my wife and I were registrars at the first nine one conference in Rosemont, so yep. we've been involved in in this truth revealing from the beginning jim and yeah, and care exactly. about you without your degree of expertise and thank you for everything you're doing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but mind you, I don't claim to be infallible. I'm not on this here. And I, I'd be I'm, fascinated. I need, I need to watch this video to see what they're offering that I may or may not have overlooked. You know, I think that's a valuable contribution. I'm glad you you mentioned it. What's the name yeah. of the video, Dave, again? It's JF, From JFK uh, to 911, right? On YouTube, it's free. It's JFK to 911. It's, it's very recent. Okay. Um. And, and I I'll recommend it. You had a but you had but, a but if you had watched it, Jim, uh, that's why I was asking the initial question, the part one of the question, is because if you have a different opinion, I'm very interested in your opinion after that, Ed. Or, uh, yeah, yeah. Fred, I'll check. I'll uh, check it out. Uh, what is your other? Have, what's the other part of your question, Dave? Uh, I've had enough time here. I'm going to just let that go. Uh, no, that's okay. Go ahead. No, I, I. I'm going to leave it right here and, and let someone else talk. Believe me. Okay. Did Ed, did Ed want to add a question or whatever? I'm not sure. Does he? Ed, are you there? Ed, are you there? Star six, if you have to. I'm. I'm just here listening. Okay. 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 Thanks. Thanks, Dave. Uh, anybody else a comment or question for Jim Fetzer? By the by the way, let me mention, just tie off a couple of loose ends. The original was taken to the National Photographic Interpretation Center in Washington, D.C. on Saturday, the 23rd. It was an 8-millimeter already split film that had been developed in Dallas. The substitute was brought on Sunday as a 16-millimeter unsplit film that had been developed in Rochester, where the CIA had a secret lab adjacent to Kodak headquarters known as Hawkeye Works. And that's where the substitution was made. Douglas Horn has discovered the details of this, which are published in his massive five-volume Inside the ARRB, which was the Assassination Records Review Board, of which he was the 
senior analyst for military records and later the chief analyst. Uh, it's a masterful work. Volume four includes his research about the Zapruder film and when and where it was altered. Oh, my God, that's crazy. Wow. So this is actual credible testimonial evidence, including facts and figures uh, in a blow-by-blow fashion. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've been doing this. I've been wow. doing this for quite a while, Fred, and I brought together the best experts in the world on this when we began, you know, to crack the medical case that had been used to cover it up. Once you learned that the autopsy x-rays were altered to conceal that fist-sized blowout in the back of the head, that another had been altered by adding a 6.5-millimeter metallic slice to implicate this obscure World War II Italian carbine that was known as the humanitarian rifle for never actually harming anyone on purpose, and that the brains in, in, in shown in the diagrams and photographs in the National Archives cannot possibly be that of JFK, because it's not only a virtually complete intact brain of larger than normal size, but it is a completely intact cerebellum, where Bob Livingston, a world authority on the human brain and an expert on wound ballistics, determined by studying the reports from the physicians at Parkland, who described cerebral as well as cerebellar tissue extruding from this wound, determined that therefore this, this brain shown in the photos and diagrams, which has a completely intact cerebellum, could it possibly be of the brain of JFK? And and, and and that's all part of, of that JFK to 901 film discussion also. Well, I mean, if this is new, for my, I mean, my book on assassination science was published in 1998, Murder in Dealey Plaza 2000, The Great Zapruder Hill, Phil, uh, Hoax 2003. Uh, I've given many presentations and, you know, uh, the whole Zapruder Film Symposium was six, six, some 66 hours, I think, was online at one point in time. I think you can still find it in, you know, the 66 parts, one-hour parts. Oh, my God. Wow. God bless you, Jim. Man, keeping the flame oh. of research alive in this very important matter of our country. JFK, that's, that's, that's why... That's why this birthday event this birthday event is so important because it's presenting some of the latest, most thorough research. I mean, you know, for the public through a through a a, a video conference that's going to be available online. So I say, if you got any remote interest, check out JFKBirthday.com and see if this isn't something that you don't want to miss. JFKBirthday.com, everyone, please write that's that right. down. Share that link. JFK birthday.com I'm looking at my presentation right now I have 88 slides in my presentation wow that's incredible Good stuff. I, I don't Good think stuff. anyone's going to be left in any doubt about how we know that the Zapruder film was massively revised I mean I give you proof after proof after proof one kind of proof another kind of proof another kind of proof I mean it's all there and Jim you know that video uh series we did on, on uh, that I edited and filmed and blah, blah, blah with you in yeah. the studio here in Chicago. There's still people who come on that thing <laughs> and comment, man, I tell you, uh, the, 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 the flame of, of controversy and interest in the JFK assassination is, is almost everlasting. It's incredible. Well, I think that, in fact, I think that, in fact, was about the man in the doorway issue, as I recall. Yeah, Fred. you covered all of that in there. My God, yeah. I remember. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, we have new and even better proof. I mean, we have better, more convincing. Larry Rivera's done that was, it. That was that was five or six years ago when we did that. Right, right. But we, we but we keep on digging, Fred. We leave no stone unturned, and we've been oh able to God. prove precisely scientifically that it was indeed Lee Oswald, including the the face, the head, and the face. Yep. And we did. We, Larry, Larry, Larry created gifts. He found photographs that would be suitable for feeding in uh, Lee's image into doormans and for feeding Billy Lovelady into doorman. And Lee is a perfect fit, and Billy is not. Billy always said it was odd they'd be confused because he was two or three inches shorter, 15 to 20 pounds heavier. He was actually in the doorway with Lee, standing to his right side looking at the Alchins photograph, wearing a short sleeve red and white vertically striped shirt. We've been able to nail all this down. We know everyone who was in the doorway area. We know how they tried to fake it. They know We know how they altered it. I mean, we can give you this from A to Z. Now, now Jim, go back over uh, the, the image of George Bush in some of those pictures. Uh, you've also proved that, or is that still a question mark? Oh, no, no, no. Jesse Curry, and, and this may have to be my last comment, Fred, okay. because... Oddly I know you enough, gotta go. I, I, I'm on the air from 7 to 11 my time. I have another one hour to show to do that actually, are they, I only come in at five minutes after. That's the reason yep. I can answer the question. Last comment, then you got to go. And then hey, guys, yeah, quick story real quick. And Jesse Curry's yet. You got a question? Yeah, go ahead. Can I go? Yeah. Yep. Real okay. quick. Uh, I just have quick. a quick little story. So, uh, my grandfather actually wa- uh, worked at uh, Parkland Memorial in Dallas. Uh, he passed now, wow. but he was one of the memo- uh, one of the um, <clears throat> assistants to the um, head of special surgery there. And he said on uh, November 22nd, when uh, he he saw JFK's body uh, being taken in, and he said that JFK, out of any patient he's ever seen, as out of any like you know cadaver at this point he's ever seen, had the biggest penis probably. Of all time. Who, JFK? Lee Oswald was well endowed. I, I didn't know that to be true of, of, of JFK. <laughs> Angie, I mean, I'm telling you, Jack was not a great lover. Lyndon Johnson had a whopper. I don't think it was true of Jack. I think he's confusing. <laughs> it was Lyndon who had a whopper. Lyndon used to I don't know if we want to close the, close the show on that note, but Jim, you well, got to go. Lyndon used to whip it out at the drop of a hat. He was once asked by a reporter, why are we going to war in Vietnam? And he said, I'll tell you why he unzipped his fly and whipped it out. <laughs> oh, my God. Fred, Fred, I'm glad to come back. Jim, I'm glad I, to thank come you back. so much. Hey, Godspeed on the trip to L.A., please. Thanks. Uh, thanks. Thanks. thanks, everyone. Check it out. JFKBirthday.com. JFK Check it out. JFKBirthday.com. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate it, guys. Got it's it. a wrap. We'll see everyone next week. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, everyone. And, Dave, I'll be in touch uh, with you later. Congratulations, everyone. Happy Mother's Day weekend, everyone. Take care. American Underground Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 